uh, welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. I am your host, Sarah Sin, Sin for short. Here with me is my minion of evil, my partner in crime, Nathaniel. Hi there. On this show, um, well, I always like to remind you guys, in case there's new listeners coming in, that on this show, we don't just talk about horror movies, um, what we love about them, and try to analyze them. We also try to bring in the element of horror and history, how horror movies reflect society's fears. And since I am a psychology major, we also try to bring in an element of mental health, whether it be how a specific horror movie or horror movies in general can be a form of therapy, or how the horror movie itself can relay. So finishing up our Reanimator series, we're doing the last one, Beyond Reanimator. Mm-hmm. Um, 2003's Beyond Reanimator, directed again by Brian Yuzna. Can't say his name. Yes, Brian Yuzna. Okay, thank you. I'm mm-hmm. horrible. No worries. So we only have one record, a returning cast member, which is the amazing Jeffrey Combs, because I right. don't think this movie would have been as good as it is if there wasn't Jeffrey Combs as Herbert West. Sure. And then we have a whole bunch of new cast. We got Jason Barry as Howard Phillips, which I know is a play on H.P. Lovecraft himself. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then uh, Elsa Pataki, is her name is right? I think As so. Laura. Mm-hmm. I only know her because she was in the, some of the Fast and the Furious movies, and she's married to uh, Thor himself, Chris Hemsworth. So, lucky girl. Oh, okay. And then, you didn't know that? I, I, I did not know that. Just, I randomly found out because when I use IMDb, it shows like who they're married to, and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like, she's the yeah. one. <laughs> and then, I'm going to say this guy's name wrong. Simone Andreu, he's the warden. Okay. And then there's just like a whole bunch of cast of like different prisoners. There's the character Moses, Speedball, and Cabrera. I think mm-hmm. are the main. So that's a whole new cast. Yes. So, I mean, I guess for horror history, the only thing is it's still connecting with the whole um, from the first two movies is, you know, finding a cure for death. Mm-hmm. You know, Herbert's still on his quest to perfect that reagent to, you know, well, so people can cheat death or right. come back to the dead so and that's always like i said last time it's always something people i think no matter what are always going to be searching for mm-hmm. and i think a little bit um kind of reflects the dynamics of the prison system sure you know, like you know the, there's the relationship between the warden and the prisoners themselves the prison guards and the prisoners and then the warden and the prison guards so it's like these different levels but there's definitely you can tell like there's a system there yeah. I mean, I don't know. I really don't know much about the prison system, but just from watching the movie, it's like there's a lot of layers. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mental health, this movie was hard, I'm not going to lie. Mental yeah. health, the only, the only thing I was really, I really caught on to was like guilt instead of grief because the character Howard feels guilty about his the sister of his death. Yes. The, I'm sorry, the death of his sister, pardon me. And the guilt is like his fuel to like search for Herbert West this quest to like find him. Right. Like the only one I really caught on to. I mean, I know there's probably much more, but that was the one I instantly gravitated toward was guilt. Yeah. Guilt driven. Lieutenant Chapman in the first, um, in Bride. So I guess, I mean, there's probably much more, but like I said, that's the one that I was drawn to. And then the truth is, I'm just going to say it like this movie was hard to analyze. It <laughs> like, is. Like it's a, it's a whole bunch of crazy. It is. <laughs> I mean, I still love it. It's a reanimator movie. It has Jeffrey Combs. I can't not love it. Right. 
but I just today's podcast is going to be all over the place, like the movie is. Yes. <laughs> just, I don't know. You feel the same way? I do. I do. I mean, I there mean, are there are themes in here. Um, the one, the main thing I kept coming back to was, and I I wrote like a a, a paper on uh, way back you know, billion years ago on um, sexual fetishes for a psychology class. And this movie is filled with sexual fetishes, like absolutely filled with them. Um, and uh, that was the one that I kind of caught on to. It was just like, well, this movie is, is uh, kind of like in, uh, in Bride when they kind of tried to juxtapose uh, sexy with horror, which has always been a theme of the entire right. series, really. Uh, of reanimator was part of the first one as well uh and this one maybe goes a little bit too far with it i think but it uh it definitely is there uh where they there's just a list of these uh sexual moments that are all uh relatively common fetishes from like sexy nurse to um uh i mean i think the entire list is basically from the word go, we've got, uh, we make sure our uh, sexy reporter is, is wearing open-toed shoes and we have a bunch of close-ups of her feet so that we know she's got feet and that they're pretty. And both the warden and Howard touch them and make, go out of their way to touch them to the point where I literally thought that when uh, Howard drives her home, they were going to cut to like him giving her a foot massage just to make sure that that fetish was like there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it goes into like, you know, there's the warden's uh, dominance um, when he, in a very distasteful scene, like he makes her get down on all fours and bark like a dog, which is a sexual fetish. Uh, sexy nurse, like I said, there's a, you know, it, there's a point where she literally has her entire dress ripped open and her breasts are exposed. And Moses, the religious uh, psychopath, like worships her body, which is mm-hmm. another sexual fetish. Like what, what puts out, her, and then he bites her nipple. Um, and yeah and uh so i mean like and then uh and then uh the lead girl i forget her name lisa laura laura um when she gets uh her part of the warden's personality there's like literally uh she rips off her her blouse to reveal a black corset she uses the warden's cane as a weapon it becomes very s&m and uh there's even like erotic trampling when she's trying to like kill him with her high heel Complete with close up of him grabbing the shoe and holding it away from himself. Uh, and she's wearing fishnets. Um, so I'm like, wow, we've, we've covered everything. Like all of these major sexual fetishes all over the place. Um, and it's, it's too obvious to be. Uh, and also, I mean, like, and we talked a little bit about this when we were texting uh, yeah. about it, that uh, there's a little bit of like uh, at the very beginning of the film, where we see young Howard at his sleepover and he plays around with his sister who looks a lot like Laura um, later on. And like, she like, when she's like playing with him, she like puts his like head between her legs, like, and kind of like puts him in this like leg lock thing, which also, by the way, uh, evil, evil Laura does as well. She uses a, she does a choking uh, leg lock thing, which is again, um, you know, sexual nature. Um, and uh, but I mean, like it, it, the scene with his sister at the beginning almost had like I was waiting for him to be like, no, stop, like, don't do that. Like, and you get the impression that all of his friends love to sleep over at his house because they get a look at his sister. Um, so it's a little bit too familiar there that I feel like there's right. something going on there 
that um, Howard's interest in Laura isn't as much, isn't just guilt ridden about the death of his sister because his sister gets killed by one of uh, Herbert's monsters in the opening sequence. Yes. That, and he witnesses her die. Mm-hmm. But I think it's like, yeah, he, she died, but also like there was a little bit more, there's something more like Oedipal going on there, like Freudian, that he kind of maybe had a little bit of a thing for his sister, not consciously, but unconsciously. And that it's right down to the very, very ending of the film where he starts interchanging the two names um, upon Laura's death, the end of the film. He starts calling her by his sister's name as well. Um, Emily. Yeah, Emily. And uh, they, so I mean, like, there's weird, sexy stuff going all over the place in this film, and uh, and none of it is pleasant. Um, <laughs> none of it, and um, <laughs> yeah, it is. And <clears throat> they also go a little bit too far. And I had mentioned this to you as well that there's there's a lot of sexual assault going on in this movie. Yeah, and even though it never really gets there uh, to the full on stuff it's a lot of implied or threatened sexual assault that i was like this probably played better 15 20 years ago than it did than it does now um but that's pretty much all i really picked up on while watching this film was i was like jesus this movie is unbelievably i don't want to say the word perverted necessarily although it is a perversion it's taking something that is more or less inherently harmful harmless and turning it into something harmful but uh, which is a perversion, but because um, I, I I stand by if you have you know your fat my I mean I, I have kinks I love them and I have no problem with other people having kinks and I'm not going to call anybody a pervert as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, but this movie does take that to we're hurting people with it, um, right? But I mean that's mostly what I kept coming back around to is always like every single scene is almost seemingly just pummeling you over the head with some form of sexual fetish or kink um weaponized uh and uh so i mean that's what i kept going back around to but i mean like but you're right it's a difficult movie to analyze or find meaning in because i'm not sure there really is much in terms of meaning or analysis yeah i think it's just a crazy movie and like i said i still love it because it's a reanimator movie but it is a little just, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I like, I mean, I, I will say like for the beginning, I did like that it was a little more canon. Like it takes part right after Bride. Uh, seemingly. I, I, yeah. I kind of almost feel like uh, the only, I think the only thing to really connect them is that Herbert outright tells Philip or Howard rather um, that his last partner turned state's evidence on him, which seems to be a reference to Dan. The only um, time Hmm? It's the only time Dan is even like referenced at all throughout the entire movie is that one line. Yeah. Assuming that he's talking about Dan. The, um, because I almost feel like, because uh, at the end of Bride, Howard, uh, not Howard, uh, Herbert is MIA. In fact, he's right. buried under rubble. Uh, when we begin this movie, he's being arrested at, for zombies coming out uh, and killing people. To the point where I'm almost wondering if, like, this was Herbert's attempt after Dan was causing that. But there's no necessary, there's nothing to necessarily place it within that timeline. Um, so, I mean, it's I just, just, 1990, so that's about yeah. all I know is that it's supposed to be 
the beginning is set in 1990, which is when Bride came out. Okay. Because it right. does say 13 years later, and that's when he, you see him in uh, um, Herbert in prison. Okay. All right. That makes sense. That was one thing. Yeah. So that also threw me off. I'm like, is it supposed to be after, like, right? Like, does he get pulled out of the rubble? And that's right. when he's arrested? Yeah. Because isn't that set in, like, 85 or 86 still? Because I don't know. Right. Either way, I know that this one's supposed to be, like, 1990, 13 years later, we see that Herbert is still in jail. Right. And that was one thing I picked up on, too, when I first saw, when you first see Herbert, he's in a cell by himself. Yes. And I'm like, still, after 13 years, he still can't make any connections with anybody. Like, I mean, when you're in prison for that long, they still, I mean, you still could see throughout all the other characters that some of them have formed friendships and connections or, you know, some of them form gangs, but still they're forming bonds yeah. in a way and yeah. Herbert still can't even connect to anybody no. in a pr in his prison and he's even in a cell by himself like he's not even ha doesn't even have a roommate right he's by himself so he's still he can't I don't know form bonds with anyone sure and it's just you know it's just I just caught on to that because I'm like still Herbert after 13 years he still can't yeah. even connect well, to one person he wouldn't have I mean he wouldn't have any peers in prison anyway uh no um but the uh, so yeah, I mean like the, the, the plot of this movie is basically at the end of that film, at the end of Bride, apparently Howard is, uh, Herbert is arrested and right. um, is witnessed, but which is witnessed by young Howard, who yes. then grows up to become a doctor. And in specific, he also picks up the reagent when he sees yes. Howard uh, Herbert taken away. He then goes to college, goes through medical school. Never, apparently, never forgetting what he witnessed that night. He then goes to, gets a job at the prison that uh, Herbert is incarcerated in, specifically to work with Herbert again. And then asks for him to join. Yeah. And he arranges for Herbert to become his lab assistant, uh, yeah. his assistant in the infirmary, which is actually kind of interesting that you would think that, well, we, first of all, we don't know what happened to the previous doctor. Um, right. But uh, you would think that actually uh, what I had picked up on was, first of all, the fact that Herbert is alone in a jail cell is actually a little bit strange. But after, after 13 years, he may have been able to get himself a solitary cell by being a model prisoner. But um, yeah. what I had wondered was why he wasn't already assisting in the infirmary. I feel like if you were a model prisoner who's, been, who's uh, at least had the, has the privilege of living by themselves, in his own cell, um, it would probably would have already been putting his medical degree to use. Um, I would think at any rate, if you have a, you have a brilliant physician in your, uh, in a jail cell, why he wasn't assigned to that work detail in the first place is a little bit odd, right. odd to me. Um, but, uh, although it could be to have been decided that, under no circumstances should he be allowed to practice, which would also make it, but that would make it so that Howard couldn't have requested him. But, um, but so, I mean, but looking for logic in this movie is not exactly a good idea. No, but I'm wondering if that has to do with, and now I lost my notes and I can't find it, but the warden says at one point, and I really wish I, I mean, I had to pause this a bunch of times just to, like write down what he said word for word mm -hmm. but the warden at one point even says like oh he thinks he's smarter than everyone else but he's not right like, so i'm wondering if it's the warden who stopped him because he said 
it's an attitude which can infect others. Yes. So he maybe he kept him from out of there because Herbert is he was afraid Herbert was gonna I don't know convince other. It's possible. Yeah, it's possible that the that the internal system was making sure he had the most humiliating work jobs possible rather than uh, putting into use because he uh, it would humble him in some manner, which is something certainly the warden is interested in. He's a I I definitely take that he's the villain of this movie. He oh, absolutely. Cool. Yeah. awful yeah he's awful. an awful awful human being yeah um, i mean I, under- I understand that he's the warden but he's like he's like out of his way cruel to the prisoners and like i said i don't know much about the prison system but like and i understand these people are in jail for a reason but i don't feel that you have to yeah humiliate them more than they already are humiliated and then beat them and hurt them and threaten them i mean mm-hmm. like they're already in jail yeah like but he's like, he goes out of his way to be, especially to Moses, he's horrible to that character. Well, yeah. And he's, I mean, and that's, that's established. I mean, he's not, certainly not supposed to do that. Um, that's him violating, uh, violating his role. Um, yeah. But, and uh, so, yeah, he's an absolutely uh, repellent villain. Um, uh, and like I said, like, you know, then the, basically that's the other part of the plot is Howard meets the warden. The warden is in the middle of sort of sexually harassing this sexy uh reporter who's doing a story on death row for some reason um and is apparently it's gonna be her big break or something because she's really 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 into it um i mean it's a death row prison i don't know isn't she really researching for herbert though there's a scene where it like pans over her like desk and it's all everything's about herbert west like the miskatonic massacre massacre no maybe Um, bunch of other stuff so i was wondering like maybe she was using that as like a way to get into the prison system to really find out about herbert because she when she finds out howard asks for someone she's like oh who'd you ask for and tell me and right trying to you know so i'm wondering if was she really doing like maybe she was doing that as a ruse for her newspaper it's possible it's certainly when she 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 leaves the prison after getting uh getting her ankle twisted uh uh after the character of Moses uh, has a heart attack in the yard right. and Howard and Herbert fail to save him, but then bring him back with reagent. Um, she gets her ankle twisted. And uh, so then Howard drives her home and they have a romantic scene. And then the idea is she comes back specifically to talk to Moses who's recovered somehow. So yeah. I mean, maybe there is some sort of connection there, but it never comes up within the narrative. Like she never actually says like, Oh, Herbert West, I know who that is. Like, mm-hmm. um, which, but again, we don't really know that much about her. We're never really given much of a character there. Um, she's you know, kind of there for, I, you know, for something to look at. It's kind of what I feel less, like. Yeah. And she's less. not a bad actress either. She's, she's, a very, she's, she's you know, okay. Yeah. Uh, not bad. Yeah, other than her, other than her accent slipping a couple of times, um, right? But um, and uh, yeah, she does a pretty good job, especially towards the end. Um, but I mean, again, the, the rest of the plot is basically Howard. The difference here is between the other ones is that Herbert has seemingly figured out a way to restore the soul of an yeah. individual to a reanimated body, which he then says it's not a soul; it's actually uh, energy that every living thing loses when it dies. Um, Nanoplasmic energy. Yeah. And he's going to put it back in. Yeah. And he's been experimenting with rats. Um, yeah. And um, which again, where he's getting equipment 
is anybody's guess in prison. But, um, uh, but yeah, and so and so inherently, so then he wants to use wants to put a rat's energy into a human being. Ultimately, uh, Howard says no because it's cross species and that would be wrong, which is a funny thing to nitpick uh, uh, about when you're yeah. wrecking the dead. Um, but um, and then it, and then she comes back to the prison. Laura comes back to the prison, witnesses the warden beat Moses to death. He then tries to force her into silence uh, in the aforementioned sequence of making her bark like a dog. Um, which if you weren't, weren't already sold on the warden being a really terrible, terrible person, we are at that point um, humiliating poor Laura, who I do think we instantly like. I feel like that there's enough there that we like her. We don't want harm to come to her. But we know it's a reanimated movie, so harm is coming to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he then beats her to death um, when she refuses to go along with it. Oh, uh, not to mention that he then also tries to get a forced blowjob, which is... Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. I'm like, I think you're forgetting something that he, like, yeah. tries to get her. Yeah, I'm just yeah. like, Ugh. Right, and um, so then she uh, she's killed, and they bring her back. And um, Herbert then, of course, then goes on to make everything worse. <laughs> um, Gotta love Herbert. Yeah, but... Um, <laughs> which is something I did write down, some of the stuff I really did like about the ending uh, in particular, but more or less the idea is uh, she comes back from the dead, the warden gets killed off, um, yep. Herbert kills him, doesn't he? Yeah, remember. again, that was I wrote that down. I'm like, yeah. Herbert, again, kills the person who threatens his experiment and his work. You know, first it's Dr. Carl Hill, yep. then Lieutenant Leslie Chapman, now the warden threatens it, so he does kill him. Mm-hmm. And then bring him back, and, and then, then that's the cross species and put the NPE NPE of, which um I I was actually looking up NPE to see if it was really something. Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know if this is true or not, but this Reddit post popped up, and it said that um some guy on Reddit said that it's a car's interior light bulb. Yeah. It's NPE, <laughs> and I was like. Oh, I actually, I figured it would be something, I don't know. I was actually looking it up because I was interested if it was a real. There a is real something, movie. I didn't look it up. There is something to the idea of like, yeah, when everybody dies, they lose 21 grams of weight or something right. like that. Um, and that, I think that is cross species. Everything does. It's one of those weird things that people occasionally as, uh, associate with religion, I guess. Um, the soul. Yeah. But the... But yeah, Herbert then kills the warden and then decides to bring him back and put the rat's stuff in him to see what would happen. Um, and then rather than just bolt the hell out of there, uh, hangs around to, again, get his stuff so that he can continue his research. And the warden turns out to be, you know, the new Carl, uh, Carl Hill, yes. the new supervillain, who decides he's going to use the reagent to cause death row inmates to suffer eternally. That's yeah. I wrote, I wrote that whole piece down. I was like, that is, yeah. I remember that. I was saying that's awful. Like he's like, was saying how like the electric chair would be the kindest way to let them die. Instead. He's like, why not let them like Hang be an yeah. yeah, forever. And he was yeah. like showing her with the guy just hanging there. Yeah. And just, ugh. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, warden's 
uh, soul energy is transferred into Laura. And then Laura. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> hmm? That was weird. I don't understand the whole, um, when they inject her with his NPE, then she falls on the stairs and starts like morphing around. Is that supposed to be because the warden was kind of, I didn't get that part. She's got part of the warden's uh, personality. I mean, Herbert does okay. talk about that where he's like, is it just, uh, is it just generalized energy or is it a shared uh, a behavioral element? Right. And that was what he wanted to find out. And it turns out he's correct that it's sort of a shared uh, or generalized life experience personality element. Uh, so she gets part of the warden's personality and then that the warden gets part rat. Right. Well, um, yeah. And then eventually it seems to be the uh, implanted part starts to become the, the dominant part of a person's personality. So if you injected the warden's personality into Laura, he, the war, she ends up becoming more and more like the warden, whereas the warden initially starts out being himself and then becomes more and more of a rat till he's right. completely incapable of making decisions anything other than a rat. Okay. Um, but they, yeah, they, they come close to teaming up at one point, but instead she gets her revenge and bites off his pee-pee. Yep. <laughs> and... Uh, but then we have the, the, at the same time, the reagent has gotten out and the uh, uh, riot has begun in the prison. The riot. Oh, yeah. I like the, there's one scene, and I, again, I love this. I like how funny some, some of these things are. But when the whole riot happens, mm. I think the character's name is Speedball. Yeah. And he's like, just, he's like watching the warden and like Mancho. I don't know what they're doing. He's just like eating the pills, like popcorn, yeah. just watching like what's happening. Yeah. And then he gets get the whole reagent. Yeah. And uses it. And then that's when Herbert like stops to actually watch to see what happens. Right. Like he can leave. He does, He's just like, oh, he does warn him. He does warn him. He says, he does I, wouldn't, warn him. I wouldn't do that. Um, right. And then, he, and then when he does, he's like, all right, let's see what happens. Right. Well, I guess we'll see what happens. And the guy explodes, uh, but, and, doesn't, but doesn't die. And no. Wants more reagent. Um, yeah, drugs, drugs. Um, but yeah, so you have that, um, but uh, that comes down to, uh, once the uh, riot begins, I think the film kind of picks back up. Mm -hmm. Uh, although I feel like a lot of the last act of this movie seems like padding. Um, because I didn't need speedball exploding. Um, I don't think we needed, um, the, (laughs) the attack on the sexy nurse, by Moses yeah. didn't seem, and then Moses's big moment of like, you know, uh, I see the light, and then they shoot him, they blow him away, and it's done in slow motion. It felt very much like padding to me. Like we we need to fill this out to ninety minutes. Um, right. And uh, then we of course like several cutaways of the rat with the rubber penis running off <laughs> with the warden's <laughs> penis. Um, yep. but it does come to a great moment where Herbert has been waylaid by uh by the warden, and Howard finds him. And uh, there's a great sequence where Herbert sort of shrinks back against the wall while Howard sort of yells at him. And, uh, and there's a, it's wonderful work by, uh, by Jeffrey Combs. Oh, because God, he's yes. like, yeah, where he says like, well, uh, you know, well, uh, yes, there's a riot and we agents gotten out. And Howard says, well, at least the warden's gone. And he says, yeah, about that. And, <laughs> and he like, has that look. Yeah, and he looks away, and like Howard's like, "What have you done?" And Herbert's like, uh, "Well, he may have sort of gotten brought back from the dead." 
uh, but we probably could save your girlfriend. And he says, like, your name is Laura. And he's like, yes, whatever. Uh, I'm willing to help you save your save your girlfriend. Um, and I felt the scene actually had a little bit of a homoerotic feel to it that kind of goes back to sort of what we've been talking about, about whether or not Herbert feels anything for the men he's working for or not. Right. Um, and it's, it's not enough throughout the rest of the film to really, really latch onto, but there's a mo that seems to be a moment of like him sort of having this idea that he's jealous that Howard's paying attention to someone other than him. Um, so I'm, I keep coming back around to the same argument about whether or not Howard, uh, Herbert West is sort of asexual or homosexual. Um, cause he certainly right. is not interested in women. Um, Except and, for the bride. Except for the bride, but the bride was an experiment. Right. And in and it never was ever any suggestion that he wanted anything from the bride other than like obedience. Like, mm. you know, versus Dan who in Bride, which was like, uh, you know, I've got my lover back kind of thing. Herbert certainly didn't show any interest in in having sex with it or having a relationship with it. Um I but hmm? I said, yeah, that, I guess that's true. I just, I think I noticed some things about Herbert with Howard was that he immediately, I don't know if he just immediately like knew he could use him or what, but like there's a scene when they first meet and they're reanimating Moses and Moses, is it Moses who's choking Howard? And Herbert smashes Moses over the head with a trash can immediately yes. saving him. Then he, Howard again is being choked out by a prisoner towards the riot scene and Herbert comes to his rescue again. Yeah. So I noticed that I feel like Herbert in a way in this movie became a little more assertive and aggressive. Maybe. I could in definitely a way, see like that. Maybe prison life is what did that to him, but I noticed that he seemed a little more not so much Herbert like he said, like except for that scene where he kind of cowers back to the wall from Howard, but other than that, he doesn't do as much cowering like he did in the other two movies. He seemed to be a little more Oh, yeah. Think of. yeah i could i could agree with that there's a little more of an assertiveness um i also think that if i i think if you were to get really come up with anything from this film in terms of howard's evolution uh i think by the end of this film howard is unabashedly on his way to becoming a true supervillain. um howard? yeah uh herbert herbert yeah oh. uh after after everything is said and done uh and uh Howard has killed Laura again, uh, kind of. Um, Howard, Herbert comes up and says, okay, Dan, we got to go. Realizes Dan's nuts, just takes his key card and leaves. Yeah, I wrote um, that down too. He like yeah. showed a little bit of like, he cared about Howard. Like he was kind of like, oh, are you okay? And then was like, Plop. no, I'm out. And then he walks away and then he has sort of the villain walk off into the misty night with his it is bag. The I did say it's the one time that we know what happens to Herbert. Yeah. And I do like the end shot, how it showed from the perspective of that eyeball that he just threw on the ground. Yeah. And you do hear Herbert just walks away. And it's like I said, it's the only one in the series where, you know, it's not left ambiguous. He yeah. just, he's just shit he's, and leaves. He's like a there. boss. Yeah. Like, like a boss. He's just like, I'm gone. Yeah. And I feel like <laughs> that he's on his way to being like, no more partners. Uh, right. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm, you know, now I'm a fugitive and I'm gonna do what I gotta do. Uh, yeah. so, I mean, I think that there is no more, I feel like 
you couldn't make another one uh, because I think there would be no way Howard uh, Herbert would work with anybody ever again. Like, I feel like this is now I'm a super villain, you know? I don't know. I, I had a dream. I'm telling you, I had a great dream. That was a sequel to this. Yeah. Like, I really did. It was weird. I woke up and I was like, I have to write this down. What was it? And it, it was so all of viewers are gonna be like, really? Yeah. It basically was. And of course I have to be my own dream for some reason, but I was Dan's daughter. Okay. Dan, and it was Daniela Kane, and I was going to Miskatonic University to be a med student because I wanted to study under Herbert because Dan actually never, he handed over state's evidence, but mm-hmm. he handed over the originals and made copies. And I had studied them since I was a kid. This is right. literally in all of my dreams. Like my backstory mm-hmm. was I had studied since a kid. I was determined to study under Herbert yeah. because I wanted to perfect that reagent and I didn't want my dad to know. And because it had been so many years since massacre, no one really remembered who Herbert West was, so he was allowed to teach there. So I was huh. studying under And then when he found when he was doing roll call and realized that what my name was, he put two and two together and was like, Oh shit. Hmm. And I was like, and yeah, that was my dream. And I was like, at one point I was like, I'm gonna work with you or I'm gonna tell my dad. Like, <laughs> right. And I'm like, my dad has no clue you're even around. I'm like, so let's just let me do this. Like I'm studying. Yeah, yeah, that was, I'm not kidding. That was my dream. Well, there you go. There's your, uh, there's your reanimator spec script. Daughter, daughter of reanimator. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I couldn't play it. I'm too old now, but yeah, that was it. It was like, yeah. I was the daughter of Dan. Yeah, write that down. And Francesca. Francesca was my mother. There you go. Brian Yosna. There you are. If you listen to this, uh, here's <laughs> your next film. Contact, uh, contact Sarah Sin. She's got a spec script for you. Um, I mean, it wasn't bad. <laughs> no, it's a perfectly, perfectly fine setup for another sequel. Um, and uh, especially the only thing you'd have to change is that it would have, he would have to, if he changed his name, that he wasn't right. Herbert West. He was something else, but uh, it would still be him. But um, I knew who he was, though. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it would be, um, but that'd be an interesting way to go about it. But I do, like I said, I just do think that for the most part, we're giving the insinuation that he's going off to to be the villain. I, I yeah. mean, like uh, the way he's the way it's shot, uh, you know, him walking off into the swirling mists uh, yep. outside of Arkham, <laughs> Arkham Prison. You know, uh, he's like, "Yep, I'm uh, I'm gone." But uh, that, but I do like, even though I didn't particularly care for the character of Howard. Um, I liked the ending of, you know, the fight with Laura, which is, uh, again, inappropriately hot. Um, <laughs> it really is. I, I get it. But her yeah, outfit. Yeah. But, I um, like her, too. yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> getting stomped on by a high heel, it's uh, not a bad Friday night. Um, but um, especially if she's hot blonde wearing a corset. Anyway, um, he cuts off her head. And it's it, this is actually the only one of the reanimator series that ends like a Lovecraft story. Um, most Lovecraft stories. I know you don't haven't read many of them, Sarah, I haven't read, but I'm going to download. I plan on doing that on my break. Yeah. Uh, there's a ton of uh, most of Lovecraft's films uh, stories usually end with the main character going crazy. Um, nope. They don't usually fare well uh, at the end of these stories. They, they might, you know, sort of win some sort of uh, fear victory but ultimately their brain is shattered. They, they can't deal with the actual reality of, of uh, the way the world really works, which is of course these outsiders, ancient evil entities that exist beyond human comprehension are kind of just 
waiting to eat us at any given point. And, um, and it's only a matter of time. But so, but basically the ending of this film is he cuts off her head. He's cradling her head in his arms. SWAT team shows up, takes the head from him. And he starts rambling about, no, I saved her. I gave her life. And he starts to say uh, both. He's like, I saved you, Emily. No, Laura. I saved Laura, right. Emily. Emily, tell them. Tell them I saved Laura, Emily. And her, she just opens up her eyes and starts laughing. And then he starts laughing. And that's basically, and then it just cuts away to like Herbert West wandering off. Like this yeah. mess is no longer my problem. Even though I caused the whole damn thing. Uh, Herbert, once again, is not going to take responsibility for uh, yeah. anything that's happened. Um, and in fact, in his own mind, he'd probably be like, it's Howard's fault for getting a girlfriend. You know, I mean, yeah, I did. Say, I did know that that yeah. he still doesn't like. He still sees women as distractions yeah. and gets a little like, like you said, a little jealous. Like there's a little a, jealous. Yeah, there was like when she goes and they they interact again, and he's like, "Oh, what are you doing here? I'm just going for it." And then he's like, "That's the way to the hole." And then Herbert's like, "It certainly is." It certainly is. Yeah. And then at one point, he looks at her, and goes, "That girl is trouble." Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, get her out of here. That girl is trouble. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he's Still has the best one-liners. Yeah. And again, the, and, and at the end of that scene, uh, the entire point is that the scene preceding was Howard, uh, Howard has chosen Herbert this right. time around, rather than the other way around. Uh, Herbert chose Dan. Um, mm-hmm. uh, in this case, Howard cho- is choosing him, which I think plays up again a little bit of that homoerotic, like, he picked me, you know, and then to have him find out, oh, he's straight. Now I'm a little bit irritated. But uh, so, I mean, I, I still can't decide, and I probably never will be able to decide where yeah. Herbert falls on this. I, I think it's easier to state that he's asexual. Um, I don't think he has any, any interest in any sort of romantic or sexual entanglement of any kind. But uh, yeah. For me. Like for me, <laughs> I love Herbert. Jeffrey Combs, I think, is happily married. Um, but um, you know, Herbert, not so much. Um, <laughs> no. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a definitely uh, an interesting take. I mean, if anything, this movie works as only is just like again the next step of Herbert West's evolution as a character. Right. Um, I don't think much else is really going on here. Um, you had said when we were, uh, texting that you were like, uh, Howard is no Dan and they keep trying to make him Dan as hard. I really did feel like they were. Yeah. And, um, it was a little forced in my opinion. I mean, it was like, again, he wasn't like a terrible actor. I just felt like there was points where I felt even with Laura and Howard, their interactions together just were not. Well, the only time they ever I think literally the only time they have any chemistry was when she's trying to erotic trample him uh, right suddenly like there's actual connection there um, but then there's that whole scene about him he even says <laughs> Howard even says like I watched my sister die I tried to resuscitate her I never want to feel that helpless again and then he looks at Laura and he's like that expression reminds me of my Emily yeah it reminds me of my Emily yeah, yeah. like and that was just like ugh yep I want to have sex with my sister yeah. Yeah, like yeah. that was the thing that that was the part where I was like, 
uh, someone reminded me of my brother. I would definitely not want anything to do with them. Right, right. In that way, shape, or form. I'm sorry. But, uh, and the last thing is actually, uh, and I thought about this. I didn't write it down, but you know, this, uh, I'm just now reminded of something I almost wrote down and ended up forgetting to. But um, uh, in terms of psychology uh, and associations, um, I've read, I read a, uh, when I was doing that paper on sexual fetishes, I read a quote and I can't remember where to attribute it, but uh, it was basically that saying uh, a sexual fetish is basically imagining the worst thing you can possibly think of and gaining sexual gratification from it. Um, and uh, which would explain like sexy nurse, like, you know, you don't really right. want to run into a nurse. You don't want to go to the hospital, but sexy nurse allows you to actually have that as a, as a turn on uh, rather than a, a source of anxiety. Uh, so, I mean, but I was thinking about the, the uh, concept of associations and the concept of fixation, which is another thing that happens in grief um, yeah. that you become so fixated on it that his last act with his sister was sort of a, an almost flirtatious erotic play. She then yeah. dies his last associations are going to be guilt and sex that it would actually make a certain amount of psychological sense that if subconsciously he's thinking about fucking his sister. Sorry, excuse my French. No, it's okay. I say the word all the time. Don't worry. But, uh, but I mean, you know what I mean? Like it actually yeah. would make a certain psychological sense of, a, of psychological damage. And considering that he held on to this reagent for 15 years Probably means you never saw any therapy. Probably you know? not. Um, and uh, or if he did, he lied his way through it uh, because all he ever wanted was to bring her back. But one would also argue is why does he want to bring her back so bad? Is it because he failed or because he wants something else? There was something more there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I mean, that's what I kept kind of around. Like probably the most clever thing this film does, I think, is talk about that without talking about that. Right. That. Howard has a, a fetishistic fixation on his dead sister, which is uh, unbelievably creepy. Uh, yeah, probably I mean, the, cre the creepiest thing in the movie, really, other than maybe the warden uh, making her bark like a dog and asking for a blowjob. Yeah, that was kind of creepy. Warden creeped me out the whole time. I mean, I do know in psychology, we do learn that children tend to fixate on their parents and then when they do look for sexual partners they do try to find characteristics of that parent not physical characteristics usually i mean right. it can happen there is the oedipus complex um complex and the jocasta complex yes but um they try to find characteristics because that's the first person that's the first person of the opposite sex they really loved and connected yes. with was mm -hmm. their parents so that makes sense. The sisters and brothers, I don't, I don't, I've so far, I haven't read anything about you, but. It's, well, you know. I was, I'm going more towards the idea of you add in, you add in a weird, uh, a weird, unusually close relationship between two right. siblings and then cause trauma to one of them by killing the other. Right. It would make a sense to me that, that, that trauma would manifest itself, not only in the sense of obsession and guilt. Right. But obsession and guilt can also easily lead to sexual sexual yeah. thoughts and sexual identity. Uh, yes. I can't tell you how many people uh, I've. Uh, in fact, I think it's a pretty common thing. They call it the, the thin line between love and hate. Uh, yeah. You know, if you if you 
seriously dislike like a coworker or uh, or classmate or whatever who is in fact uh, who is within your sphere of sexual interest, you might end up having a sex dream about them. In fact, you might rather likely to have a sex dream about them because you actually just you hate them so much that they become this thing in your brain like an obsession obsession. uh and of course you know the healthy thing to do of course is then you ignore it and you move on uh but for howard who has severe deep psychological issues it's something he can't get past so he's like boy in the back of his in the deep recesses of his mind he's like i want to do my sister in the front of his mind he's i want to make sure what happened to my sister never happens again and thinks that's healthy but doesn't think right. about what is going on in the back of his head because to think about that is taboo you can't think about that um yeah. but that's that's sort of the read i was going for i was looking at it and being like this movie's all about sexual perversion sexual fetishism and uh and and poor impulse control yeah. um uh, and you know, a whole bunch of people, not a, not a single person in this movie is well-adjusted. Not at all. Maybe Laura, but even then Laura seems is way too eager to jump into the arms of Howard Phillips. So, yeah. I mean, uh, basically within their first meeting, she's like, you know, Ooh la la. And I'm like, what Dr. Bland? Like that's, <laughs> that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the guy you want to bring home. Huh? The, the Dr. Bland. Um, <laughs> Because he's the blandest, most uninteresting man. Uh, until you delve into his psychosis, and then you realize he's yeah. kind of interesting. But, yeah. um, and one can make an argument Dan was a little bland, but, uh, but Dan was at least fun. You know, yeah. You saw enough of his relationship with uh, with uh, Megan. Megan, okay. thank you. Okay, you know, You're in welcome. That first film, <laughs> yeah, in that first film. To notice that he uh, knows how to have a good time. And in reality, Herbert becomes the problem in that relationship. Yeah. Uh, one would argue in this one, it's the opposite. Uh, Howard is basically a bland nobody that Herbert turns into somebody uh, through interaction with him. Um, and that, but they also implied that he was, Howard was that, was just a damn good doctor. But we never yeah. see him do any good doctoring. <laughs> No, they said he's like fifth in his class. Like, and the warden yep. even said, like, if I had your pick of any job, why here? Yeah, your pick of any job, why, why a prison? Yeah. Right. And he's like, oh well. Institutional, institutional medicine interests me. Yes. Yeah. And that's uh, when he first interacts with Laura. God, she was not subtle. No. No. And she's like, oh, do all doctors have a special connection or relationship with their tools? I'm like, yes. wow. Right off the bat, yeah. I know, I'm like. Way to be subtle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but I she's, just, she's ready to go um, home with him within thirty seconds of a conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. healthy, healthy, healthy individual. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Uh, there was one thing I did pick up on a little. Was uh, speaking of Howard and Dan. Was like, yeah, they were trying to make Howard Dan. He's not Dan. Right. But they also tried to mimic a lot of like Dan couldn't save Megan. So he was going to save Gloria, but then in the end, he couldn't save Gloria. And it was like, Howard couldn't save his sister. By damn it, he's going to save Laura. But then in the end, he couldn't save Laura either. Right. 
they yeah, mimic that. yeah they, they mimic that a little bit and the idea that that that's the type of person that works with herbert right it's someone who actually because he even says um oh what is he i wrote it down too but he even says like these are people or when he's talking about cross species he's like he's like you he's like species to species is one thing but cross you know you can't you know he's supposed to be the new moral compass right and he's he's even howard's even upset when laura changes yeah. he said like she changed she wasn't supposed to change you said she wasn't going to change and howard's like yeah well it was a theory it was a theory like yeah. just totally blows it off like whatever like yeah like, still went along with it yeah exactly and and herbert can only claim herbert can only claim so much of the guilt uh, yeah you're, you know in terms of or blame rather because herbert doesn't feel guilt um no uh not not at all um uh, Herbert, uh, I, I wouldn't call Herbert a sociopath. I would call him a megalomaniac. Um, ends justify the means. I'm not going to worry about the morality, uh, but understands morality in yeah. a way that you know a sociopath probably does not. Um, and Herbert's obviously not. I wouldn't call Herbert insane either. Um, at least not in any real. I mean, maybe uh, uh, according to some definitions of insanity, there's a little bit of Herbert. You know the he never gives up on this one thing he um, does he stresses over the reagent it's like that's his whole life it's his whole life it's his whole, whole reason for being and again it's one of those things that we talked about this in the original reanimator it's almost like i wish we had and, and god forbid please do not uh hollywood do not make the you know birth of reanimator movie you know reanimator begins um because while i think it would be interesting and useful to know herbert west's background and what got him in this direction. I don't right. need a, I don't need a 90 minute sympathetic, uh, horror, uh, uh, cliche, uh, here's his childhood kind of movie. Right. Um, we didn't need it for Michael Myers. We don't need it for uh, Leatherface. We don't need it for Jason Voorhees. We don't need it for Herbert West, but, no. I, but I think it would be interesting to know where he came from. Right. That can be a short story. Yeah. Yeah. Like, or, did, and I mean, I, you probably won't feel the same way, but I mean, I, I was thinking about the idea of like, if you to remake reanimator. No, I know. You <laughs> think you would but I like, I, no. I, I like, I actually happen to like remakes if they're done well. And I think you could do a reanimator done well. The only, the real problem with it would be, what do you do about Herbert West? And, uh, and particularly, you know, it, who do you cast to play young Herbert West? Who do you cast uh, and how do they approach the role? Um, because either way, you're going to get criticized for either being too much like uh, Combs or, or, or not, not enough like Combs. Um, and I think either way, you're going to end up there. But I mean, I, but I feel like if they ever did, I, I wouldn't mind a pre-credit sequence of being like, or even just some lines of dialogue of being like, what caused Herbert to create this, have this obsession? Right. Was it loss? Uh, was it uh, inferiority complex turned megalomania? Uh, you know, and I think that that's, uh, it would be an interesting thing to explore why Herbert is the way Herbert is. Um, and we never really get that in any of the three films. I don't even think it's in the books. I mean, I, I've been reading, like, trying to read little synopsises about the Herbert West story just because I wanted to get an idea of, but yeah. I don't 
Is there even, I don't even think in the Harp, um, H.P. Lovecraft story that there's any. No, he, from what I understand, what I remember anyway, he just, he just, it's much like the original film. He just sort of shows he, up. He just shows up and here he is. And the narrator is the one telling the story. And that's supposed to be from Dan's perspective. Yes. I mean, I'm going to read them. I really will. Um, uh, my notes are so everywhere. This movie. I mean, I like, again, I liked it. It's, it's I not did. bad. Yeah. I do like the one-liners. Like I said, Jeffrey Combs has the best lines. I did notice um, a blooper like I did the last one. So there's a scene where that guy Cabrera, after he's been cut in half, is swinging from the ceiling. Yep. And if you watch the his shadow, you can see his legs. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah. So if you watch it again, just go to that part. because You look and you'll see the legs just swinging along. And Nice. Huh. I like catching those things. And, you know, actually, I was going to say, if anyone's going to do a reanimator remake, it should be Barbara Crampton. She just produced the Castle Freak remake. Oh, really? I didn't know there yeah, was a Castle Freak remake. Okay. Yeah, I, just, I was just told on Twitter like a few days ago, and someone showed me the link for the trailer, and Barbara Crampton was producing it. Oh. I'm like, okay. if anyone's going to do it and do it well, it'd be her. So Barbara, I, if you're I would, listening, you do you can do the reanimator remake. Just make. I, I was gonna. I, I was gonna say that. Yeah, I think if you were gonna do a reanimator, uh, having Barbara Crampton involved and maybe even having like Dennis Paoli. Uh, I, I believe Dennis Paoli is still alive. Stuart Gordon is not. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away um, earlier this year, didn't he? Um, but I can't remember if it was earlier this year or last year. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, tragically, Stuart Gordon passed away. Um, but I think Dennis Paoli is still alive. He's a screenwriter, worked with, uh, and worked with him a lot, worked with Gordon a lot. He wrote, uh, the original reanimator was one of the writers on the original reanimator. But I think if you brought him back to kind of do a treatment, I think that would work out well. Um, and I think having Yuzna continue to be involved would be solid. Yuzna has some really good instincts in terms of special effects in, um, maybe not so much in story, but, uh, he, uh, he can, craft a really bizarre set of scenes uh that yeah. really work but i mean well, yeah but i mean we do get a little bit fixated on that too with remakes where we're like well, original people must be involved kind of thing and sometimes that may not be the best idea either but um it's difficult to say um, yeah remakes are hard like i did like of course the thing is john carpenter's the thing sure. is one of the i think the best examples of how to do a remake yeah in in general there are there there are a handful uh that i've uh and at some point uh probably my solo project that i'm coming up with in a few weeks uh (laughs) remakes will be uh well remakes are going to be a part of it and i mean there are i did research once about remakes in general and came up with about out of roughly about 120 horror film remakes there are probably about 30 good ones and maybe five or six are better than their original uh, films. The rest I think are at least close to equal. And, um, and it just, it's, it's a hard formula to nail down if you wanted to do it. Um, Of course that's not relevant here because this, but this is a sequel, which is more or less kind of the same thing. It's a readaptation of something that's already come before it. You're still Um, continuing the story. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, Yasna, of course, was a producer on the original film, involved straight through. Um, you know, uh, same thing with the Child's Play franchise, for example, is that the screenwriter of the first one. Don uh, Man- 
Don Mancini has been involved with the entire series up until the remake. And then that remake actually wasn't bad without Don Mancini. Um, I did like it. I think they did a good job bringing it to, well, the decade that we're in. Like I, a possessed doll wouldn't make any sense nowadays. Like technology is our possession and our obsession in this world. Right. As sitting here making a podcast. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying like that is, you know, it can get, I mean, I just learned about in psychology about, you know, addiction and internet addiction is a true addiction. Yeah. Like technology addiction, like that people get so obsessed and so involved with these things that they just can't stop. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. So I think it was good that they brought the doll as a, as technology, technology. So yeah. I think that was a good thing too. I, I agree. But I think that if but that's what I mean is I think Reanimator could could in fact speak even better to today's uh, circumstances and trouble, um, especially I think we, when we talked about the first one, you know, uh, about the idea of like COVID nineteen is happening, you know, yes. uh, it, you know, we have more people on our planet than ever, and then therefore deaths are way more common. That if you had this idea of a of a young mildly megalomaniacal mildly sociopathic brilliant scientist who says well i can't cure the disease but i can cure the aftermath right uh, you know and playing with that in in today's world of miracle drugs and uh you know you can imagine the reana you can imagine the reagent uh you know, commercial on Tubi at two in the morning, like, you know, side effects might include, you might bite people's throats, like, you know, (laughs) but you'll get your loved one back. Um, You know, like, uh, you know, maybe with a, you know, puppy and an old person and they, and soft lighting and they, uh, you know, and some new age music. And then, you know, at the end, just be this constant, this stern, like, uh, a social scientist being like, and then you can just bring them back from the dead. But because the fear of death is everywhere, it's always yeah. people are always gonna. And I, I mean, I'm a person who fears death. The fear of the unknown, if I don't know what happens, scares the crap out of me. It's gonna happen, but I yeah. don't. Doesn't mean I like it. Right. But the fear of death is everywhere. Like I think, like that's the one thing that I said. I don't think changes from any decade is that. Yeah. Every decade, it's people are gonna be scared of death mm-hmm. because it's we do not we don't know so it does play on definitely plays on that because people are gonna do anything to bring someone back or some people are gonna do anything to not die yeah you know yeah but then the risk of that would only also be like you know you end up with flatliners and that wasn't a particularly good remake but uh, I, I actually never saw the original oh <laughs> or the, i haven't well, seen any. i know of them just haven't seen them yet yeah they're on I mean, my list I just, there's a lot of movies i have seen and a lot i have not yeah uh, I would I would recommend Flatliners as a uh, if you're into the psychology and particularly in, in morbid end of psychology, um, Flatliners is not a subtle movie. Uh, it will bang you over the head with its themes uh, until you ask it to stop, and then it will hit you a few more times. Um, but uh, it's uh, it is a pretty good film, but it, it works along the same lines of what what do we how do we explore death in a way that uh, doesn't end with the end, you know? Right. Um, and uh, so that works well, I think with reanimator as well as a kind of companion piece, uh, yeah. a little bit, a little bit attempting to be a little bit more highbrow, a little bit more psychological versus reanimator. But uh, 
you know, that's, but I, I do think that reanimator could work in today's world. It could. I just don't want to see it as a remake. Yeah. It's just, like I said, the, the what made, and, every, and most people will say this, what made that movie was Jeffrey Combs' portrayal mm-hmm. of Herbert West. Yeah. Like, he is what I made, made that movie. I was thinking about that the other night as well, as thinking that uh, if there's anything that works about this movie, it is Jeffrey Combs understanding Herbert West. Uh, yeah. Which was a similar statement made about a lot of the Psycho uh, sequels was that these movies aren't particularly good, but um, uh, Anthony Perkins just really understands Norman Bates and what's going very on. Sympathetic. Yes. He's such a sympathetic character. Like you. Yeah. yeah. So if you have, you have an actor who has an understanding of a particular character, then continuing with that actor until you absolutely can't anymore does make more sense than trying to do it again. Um, I'm not sure how, how keen Jeffrey Combs would be on doing another one. Um, but, uh, you know, who knows? But uh, could happen. Good happen. Or he could be, or he could be Carl Hill. He could. Yeah. In fact, I remember that was a thing that uh, that went around with Nightmare on Elm Street, where uh, Robert Englund more or less had said he's too old to do another film, but would love to see like a remake of Nightmare on Elm Street three, where he would play the uh, Doctor Sims character, the the mean doctor. Uh, oh. Okay. And I was like, yeah, that's a that's a great idea. Um, but uh, where he was like, uh, we need to do that remake instead of retreading the original film. Um, and then that got it. And then another quote got attributed to him where he was saying remakes suck in general and it, they didn't jive. And, but uh, confirmation bias is a powerful thing. So, um, but yeah, so I guess we're, uh, we're coming to the end of this. We haven't talked about the movie at all for like uh, 20 minutes now. So, um, <laughs> right. We- it's a, uh, it's, I said this movie balls to the walls crazy and it's a little hard to little analyze. Hard to I mean, it's a fun movie. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I do recommend watching, especially if you are fans of the other two. Um, yeah. Check out uh, Beyond. It is, uh, uh, and there's a lot of fun with the prison setting. It doesn't always work, but there's also, uh, you know, if you're into that type of thing, there is, you know, there's, there's feet, there's sexy nurses, there are, uh, uh, Corsets. Yeah, there are corsets and trampling and uh, all kinds of fun stuff. So if you're into that kind of thing um, or are into that kind of thing and don't want to be anymore, then maybe watch, maybe watch a movie. Yeah, it'll, uh, it'll kill that urge in you pretty quickly, I think. But um, <laughs> I still loved it. I can't not. Like I said, yeah. I love Jeffrey Combs. I can't not. Anything he's in, I'm let off. Yeah. I'm going to love it. And I think that's what did make this movie work. I think if they had pulled him out or had someone else be Herbert, the movie wouldn't have worked at all. I think I agree with that. It would have been awful. Like yeah. He's what makes the movie, and it, he makes it fun to watch because it is nice to see his character grow in a way. Like I said, he became more assertive. Mm-hmm. And I did like that they showed that he just walked, like I said, he walks away like a boss. Like He does. Yeah. <laughs> like, a, like, a, like a really good villain should. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And a really good villain is, uh, I would always argue the best villains are the ones who think they're right. And, uh, yep. that's, uh, that's Herbert West reanimator. He is, is, uh, he is fully justified in his mind that what he's doing is the right course of action, no matter who it hurts. Exactly. He's going to end means to an end. It means to the end. In the end of the day, he will, he will save us all from death no matter who dies along the way. 
it won't matter because exactly. he can. A few cats. <laughs> yeah, or prison inmates. You know. Yeah, you know. Same thing. Whatever. Yeah. Right. Um. So we're wrapping it up. Yep. Okay. Well, thank. Uh, so I just like to say thank you for joining us today on Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Again, I'm Sarah Sin or Sin, and I'm here with my partner, Crime Nathaniel. Thanks, everybody. Uh, Hope you enjoyed the show and thank you for listening. And as I like to end, just remember, I uh, just like to remind you all that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy. So thank you.